Welcome to the Profitable Persuasion Podcast. This is the only podcast you need to learn proven sales and marketing tips and tactics that will help you become a more powerful practitioner of human persuasion and allow you to work less and make more so that you can live a more peaceful and abundant life. And now let's tune in to the revolutionary training by the author, coach, and sales master himself, Steve Clark. What will your business life look like in five years? Since 19 or since 2008, approximately 30% of all businesses in every business category have gone out of business. The reason for this is they failed to provide to the marketplace what the marketplace was looking for. In this new economy, you have two choices. You can either change what you sell, how you sell it, who you sell it to, or you will die a slow death. Hello, everyone. This is Steve Clark, and welcome to another Inner Circle Coaching Call. In today's session, uh, you're going to discover how to eliminate having to cut price to close deals, how to eliminate stalls, put-offs, and think-it-overs, how to eliminate price shopping and learn to disqualify tire kickers quickly. You'll discover how to increase profit margins and close more deals faster than ever before, and how to position your company as the premier go-to authority. All of this will lead to you becoming the total market dominator in your marketplace. Now, as we talk today through this, and we'll have time for Q&A later, so be sure and write down your questions, your thoughts, and we'll give you a chance to uh, uh, open the mic up here and give you a chance to uh, put those on the table and take your questions. But in terms of what we're talking about today, the, the title of this particular session today is The State of Selling in America. Where are we and how we got here. Uh, the truth of the matter is, selling is more difficult today than it has ever been. Uh, certainly in my lifetime, in the 33 years that I have been in selling, uh, I find it more difficult for my clients and for me personally to extract money from buyers uh, who are very reluctant uh, to let go of their money. So extracting money from reluctant buyers is more difficult today than at any time in the 33-year history uh, that I have either been selling or teaching and coaching other people to sell, uh, which begs the question, why is that? Well, uh, if we look at uh, common problems that sellers experience in today's marketplace, uh, here's what we will discover. Uh, we will discover that uh, buyers hesitate to even meet with salespeople. Uh, there's a great reluctance uh, to not meet with salespeople. Uh, if buyers can uh, somehow uh, purchase without meeting with the salesperson, that would be something they would like to do. Uh, hence, all the popularity of online uh, selling. Uh, places like Amazon and all the others that are out there, 
buyers are looking to uh, anonymously shop, make their comparisons, make their decisions without ever having to deal with a pushy, aggressive, incompetent salesperson who is trying to uh, talk them into something uh, that they want them to buy. The other thing that salespeople experience because of this uh, reluctance from buyers in today's economy is elongated sales cycles, meaning deals take forever to close when they should have closed much sooner. Um, deals take months to close when they should have closed in weeks, or they take weeks to close when they should have closed in days. Uh, in days. All of this leads to uh, wasted time on the salesperson's part. And in our studies, we have found uh, that on average, the average salesperson wastes about 65% of their time when they are in front of salespeople or in front of buyers. Uh, about two out of three times uh, when a salesperson meets with a buyer, it results in no sale. And I don't know how you can categorize that any other way to say that if you meet with somebody and you do not get money from them, you do not get paid for that meeting, I don't know how you can say anything other than the fact that it was a waste of time. So we're finding, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, on an average, about two out of three presentations that salespeople give to buyers result in no sale. Uh, there's a lot of uh, other things that salespeople could be doing with that time. Uh, and if they work, uh, you know, 40 hours a week and 20 of those hours are uh, in front of buyers and two thirds of that time is wasted, then they're wasting an awful lot of time. Uh, you might want to do the math and figure out how much time that is. And based on your, uh, your hourly, uh, income, uh, figure out how much money you're leaving on the table and how much time uh, you're ultimately wasting. So uh, huge problem for salespeople, wasting time with people who ultimately don't buy. Another problem salespeople experience because of the reluctance of buyers to buy today is that salespeople are under tremendous pressure to cut their price in order to get to get the deal which means eroding profit margins uh, for the company, decreased sales commissions for the salespeople, uh, and this whole race to the bottom to see who can provide a product or service for the absolute cheapest price. Not a, not a good long-term prognosis uh, for someone who is doing business that way. So lots of price pressures uh, to uh, lower the price, and many times, that's the first thing the salesperson does. Another problem that salespeople experience are uh, stalls, put-offs, and think-it-overs. Uh, buyers who do not say yes, they do not say no, but they give some lame excuse about why they can't move forward right now. And they give the salesperson some sense of hope uh, by telling them to check back with them in a week or two weeks or three weeks or whenever their partner gets back in town or after they've talked to their husband or wife or uh, accountant or attorney or whomever, 
that they need to run this decision by in order to make a decision. Uh, all of those things are simply excuses not to move forward, and uh, they are indications that the buyer is not sold on the salesperson or what they had to offer. So a lot of that is going on. Again, that's, that's about two-thirds of the time about what takes place. Another, another problem that salespeople experience in this uh, difficult selling environment is low closing percentages. Uh, closing percentages uh, going down, uh, not going up, and uh, you know, on an average, uh, the the average closing percentage for a salesperson in America that's an outside salesperson is right at twenty eight percent. So, uh, you know, that means that seventy two percent of the time uh, they're not getting the business, but there's there ends up being uh, tremendous uh, issues with salespeople uh, closing very small percentage of the presentations or the proposals that they give. Another problem that sellers experience in today's marketplace is what I call commoditization. Now, I'm not sure that's an exact word if you look it up in the dictionary, but it's a word now because I made it up. Commoditization is simply where the buyer views what the seller is selling as nothing more than a commodity. And they see no perceived difference in what the seller happens to be offering. Uh, they don't see any difference in the value or the product or the service or anything else that would differentiate, including the salesperson themselves, the buyer sees no difference. They consider life insurance to be life insurance. They consider, uh, you know, uh, roofing shingles to be roofing shingles. They consider sales training to be sales training. They consider uh, automobile insurance to be automobile insurance. They consider them all to be the same. And uh, they've done their homework and they've Googled everything and they've learned about this stuff. And there doesn't seem to be much difference between company A, B, C, D, E, F, G, uh, except for the price. And when the buyer is faced with uh, this whole issue of not seeing any clear differentiation between one company and another company, the only determining difference the buyer sees is the price. And therefore, the buyer resorts to making a decision based on low price because they see no differentiation in the marketplace uh, about what you're selling and who's doing the selling. Another common problem that salespeople experience is this whole idea of price resistance. Uh, we are dealing with the most sophisticated, most savvy, most skeptical buyer in the history of mankind. Uh, buyers absolutely do not trust salespeople or business people or most anybody else for that matter. So there comes a great price resistance from the buyer trying to uh, get the seller to lower their price. And it also results in the buyer uh, doing a lot of shopping around, uh, getting three or four quotes or proposals, uh, looking them over and so forth and so on. 
And of course, this all lends itself to this elongated sales cycle, wasted time, and so forth and so on. And uh, the last problem that I have uh, listed is this whole idea about uh, misconceptions about your product or service. The buyer, uh, even though they think they are well-informed and they think they know what it is you do, uh, they really do not fully understand what value you bring to the table. And uh, as a result, the seller experiencing buyers who have misconceptions about what the seller is actually offering and how they go about doing it. So those are problems that salespeople are experiencing in the marketplace because of this new economy and this reluctance from buyers to buy anything other than what they have to have. Now, put this in perspective a little bit uh, in terms of how difficult it is. In 1980, I started my sales career. Uh, Jimmy Carter was president. Interest rates were 13%. Inflation was 13%. And unemployment was 13%. We're nowhere near any of those numbers today. And yet I started in that environment as a rookie salesperson. Uh, it was difficult. But I will tell you that today, after 33 years, it is more difficult today than it was when I started in terms of the uh, mindset, the attitude, the general feeling of people when it comes to buying things. Now, I'm much better at selling today than I was 33 years ago. But I still find it difficult because of the state of where we are in selling uh, in America and, and kind of what's happened. So we have to ask ourselves, why are these issues so pervasive? Why is it so difficult to extract money from buyers in today's economy? And in one word, why we find it so difficult is lack of trust. So trust no one is the new mantra. Buyers have seen every institution, corporate, religious, and government leader prove themselves spectacularly untrustworthy and are given to sensationalize reasons daily by every media to distrust any and every one. So it is perfectly understandable that they are not prepared to trust you, not one word you say, not any promise you make, not any organization or product you represent. Now, that quote comes from a book called Creating Trust in an Understandably Untrusting World by Dan Kennedy and Matt Zagula, which, by the way, there's an entire page in that book that is devoted to a quote out of my book, Profitable Persuasion. And in that book, the quote that Kennedy has in that book is the following. To the buyer, salespeople all tend to look alike and blur together. 
They all ask the same questions, wear the same clothes, make the same pitches and promises. To stop being treated like a salesperson, stop acting like one. How does a typical salesperson act? They try to convince, persuade, and sometimes manipulate. This is what sales trainers have taught for 50 years. We need to stop talking about products and start talking to buyers about what is important to them. People buy for their reasons, not yours. At core, you are better advised to master the art of establishing trust rather than sales techniques. People buy from people they know, like, and trust, end quote. So, if this whole trust is the primary reason, or lack of trust is the primary reason why buyers are so hesitant to fork over their money to a salesperson, what is it that they are afraid of if they do that? So, they... There's a great feeling that if I give my money to a salesperson, there's a great fear of all these things that are going to happen to me if I do this. First of all, I don't trust a salesperson, but if I do give them my money, these are some things that I'm afraid of. Uh, and this is the environment the salesperson cannot underestimate what is going on in the mind of the prospect. These are the things that salespeople should be fully aware of and conscious of and then modify their approach and their sales process in order to neutralize these things. So here are some things buyers are afraid of. They're afraid of making a mistake and losing respect. I'm sure you, like me, have made a poor buying decision somewhere in the past. Maybe you've made a number of those like me. And when it comes time to make a buying decision now, my unconscious mind reminds me of some of those stupid buying decisions I made. I bought something I didn't need. I paid more than I should have paid. I got sold more than I really needed to have. And so forth and so on. We've all done it. The older your buyer, the more buying mistakes they've made. Now when it comes time for you to separate them from their money, the way they see it, they relive all those past mistakes unconsciously and their unconscious mind is whispering to them, Hey, stupid, don't do it again. Remember when? So therefore, they hesitate to make any decision at all unless they absolutely need what it is that the salesperson is selling right then and there. Another thing buyers are afraid of is the fear of the unknown. What's going to happen when I give this person my money? If I give this person, let's take 
roofing job, okay? I just happened to have spoken to a bunch of roofers lately, so this is kind of fresh in my mind. I had my roof replaced, oh, about, uh, I don't know, about 10 years ago now. And it was $10,000 to replace the roof 10 years ago, probably about 15000 right now if I did that. Well, I did, I did need part of a new roof because the hurricane took part of it off. Part of it was okay, part of it wasn't. So I needed to have a new roof. Well, I didn't let, I didn't want to give them my $10,000. I mean, insurance covered some of it, but I still, I still had to pay them 10000 over and above what insurance was. So once I got beyond the fact that I was going to give them $10,000 and swallow that, that bitter pill, I had this feeling about what are they going to do? I didn't, I didn't know. I'd never done business with these people. I didn't know when, you know, what they were going to show up with. Are they going to trash my place? Are they going to leave roofing nails all over the place? Are they going to bring in a bunch of people with big boom boxes and play loud music while they're here, while I'm trying to do business? Uh, how long is it going to take them? Uh, you know, and so forth and so on. So I had all of that to deal with. Uh, and your buyer is dealing with something very similar if they've never done business with you before because they're waiting for the other shoe to drop, so to speak. So fear of the unknown is, is, is a big one. Another thing buyers are afraid of is fear of losing control. People like to be in control. People like choices, and they like to be in control. They are afraid that if they buy something, they're losing control. They're giving up control to the person who is selling them. So they're afraid of losing control. They're afraid of losing money. They're fearful that they are going to fork over their money and it's going to be something they regret. They're fear of losing time. They're very much fearful of losing time. They're fearful of losing social or professional status, looking foolish in the eyes of their peers or someone uh, very close to them. They're afraid of being taken advantage of. They're afraid of being betrayed. They are fearful of feeling stupid or gullible. And they're fearful of being embarrassed. And they're fearful of failure. Now, this is a very interesting psychological thing with people. Most people have made enough poor decisions in their life that they no longer trust themselves to make good decisions. Now, let me, let me say that again. This one is huge. Most people have made so many poor decisions in their life that they are paralyzed to make another decision for fear that it's going to be another poor decision. So therefore, they don't trust themselves to make good decisions. So therefore, they avoid at all costs making any decision whatsoever. And the only decision they make are decisions they absolutely have to make. 
like when the refrigerator goes out and they got no refrigerator, they will make a decision to go get another refrigerator. But they're not going to make any complex decision, and they're only going to make decisions in most cases when they absolutely positively have to do it. That means if there's no pain, if they have no pain to address right now, the pain of making a poor decision outweighs the pain of them staying in their current situation, which means not buying your product or service that would solve a problem they may have. Now, their problem, unless it's a critical problem that needs addressing today, is probably something they can put off. Procrastination is the default button in the human brain. Procrastination is the default button in the human brain for all of the things I just mentioned a second ago. Now, you've probably heard of something called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And basically, Abraham Maslow categorized people's needs in order of priority. And he did it in a triangle. And he said at the bottom of the base of the triangle, people's most basic need, which everybody can relate to, is what he called physiological need. The need to have something to drink and something to eat. That is the most basic need we have uh, to satisfy. He said the second need, once we get a full belly and something to drink, we're looking for safety. A cave to crawl into a lean-to to get under when it rains, a house to have uh, when the storm comes, and so forth. Then he said, after that, we have social needs, which is the need to belong, to feel accepted, to be part of something, uh, a need to be loved, and a need uh, for sex, all as part of this social need. And then he said, the next level of need is the need for what he called self-esteem, the need to feel good about ourselves, the need to be recognized uh, for what it is we do and who we are, the need to have a certain sense of status. Uh, that's why people drive the cars they drive. That's why they live in the houses they live in uh, and things like that. Basically, uh, as a as a fulfillment of their of their uh, self-esteem needs and to uh, have status in their neighborhood and in their place of work and other places that they go, the need for recognition by other people. That's why companies give out awards. That's why the military gives out ribbons and all that sort of stuff. People have a tremendous need to be recognized for everything. And then at the top of the pyramid, it's what he calls self-actualization. And these are people who have finally evolved to the point where uh, they are comfortable with where they are and who they are. And they, they totally are at peace with themselves. And they've achieved a great deal of their potential. And they're satisfied emotionally. And they have nothing else to prove. And so forth and so on. Now. Only about three to three to five percent of the people would be in that category. Now, there are about ten percent of the people at the bottom 
that are looking for something to eat every day. And they're about another 10% that are looking for a place to stay. So at the bottom, you've got about 20% of the people that are preoccupied with something to eat and a place to stay. Well, that's not what you're not in that business, most likely. And that's probably certainly not the people you're going to be selling to. So the big chunk of the people that you're going to be selling to are going to be people who are trying to satisfy some social need or self-esteem need. And uh, uh, satisfying this sense of wanting to belong to something, uh, wanting to be recognized, wanting to be part of a group, want to have recognition for their contribution or their work or their intellect or their degrees or you know, what have you. So most of what you are going to be selling to uh, would be these people who have those type needs. So let's talk specifically about why customers are really buying these days because all buying decision satisfies some need that people have. And again, your customers, uh, people that are buying from you are not looking to satisfy basic food and shelter needs. Uh, even a home uh, is not a, uh, is, is not satisfying a need for safety because most people already have a place to live, when someone buys a home, it makes a statement. They're buying a new house to make a statement about the fact that they have arrived and can afford a Mac Mansion uh, type deal. So don't don't confuse that with you know with safety or shelter. So what are they really buying? Let's start at the bottom. Let's make this a pyramid again at the bottom. At at the bottom of the pyramid, what people are buying these days are solutions to problems. I got a hole in my roof. The rain's coming in. I need to have a new roof job. I need to solve that problem, and I need to do it pretty quickly. So that's a pretty basic kind of thing. The next level up from there, people are buying to satisfy self-esteem needs. They're buying to make themselves feel good about themselves. They're buying the latest and greatest, uh, you know, uh, gadget or phone or gizmo or car or whatever. So that when they make that purchase, they get to feel good about themselves. They are buying to win the respect of others and the admiration of others. They're buying to fulfill a need to be recognized as somebody of importance. And they're buying to achieve status in life. And ultimately... People are buying so that they can display superiority over other people. Now, every one of those except a solution to a problem is an emotional reason for buying. Solutions to problems are basic. 
But most people, most buying decisions go way beyond solutions to problems. They're either satisfying a self-esteem need or, or need to be recognized by others or admired by others or satisfying some need for status or satisfying some need to feel superior to other people. Those are the reasons people are buying most everything. Now, they may, buy, they may be buying a can of tuna fish because they're hungry. I grant you that. There are a number of things out there that fall into that category. But you look at what you're selling. And if you want people to give you money, the easiest way to get them to sell or to give you money is to sell them something that satisfies an emotional need rather than a practical need. People do not buy products and services to satisfy a practical need or solution for the most part. Now, there's some things that fall into that category, but you will find it easier to get money from people if you will position what you sell and how you sell to satisfy some need for recognition or respect or admiration or status or superiority. That's where people are more willing to give you money to satisfy that type of need because most people are still trying to satisfy a need to feel important in this world. So if you want to, if you want to get out of the slimy product peddling and pitching business and become a trusted advisor who is admired and respected, you must change your old ways of selling and replace them with new cutting-edge sales strategies and processes that build trust and credibility. If you don't change your process, selling will only become more difficult and frustrating for you. So what are things that salespeople do that erode trust and confidence? They show up and endlessly talk about product. I call it pitch and pray or spray and pray about who we are, what we do, how long we've been doing it, yada, 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 yada. And the prospect's thinking, so what? Who cares? Salespeople fail to uncover the real emotional pains that buyers have. It's not enough to talk about the solution to the problem. The solution to the problem is an intellectual discussion that is only the tip of the iceberg. People are not going to give you money to satisfy an intellectual solution to a problem. They will give you money to satisfy a problem that will make them look bad if they don't address it. The reason somebody, the reason a facilities manager, for instance, will uh, give out a bunch of money to satisfy some sort of potential problem that may exist is because they're afraid that if something happens, they're going to get fired. So the conversation needs about needs to be not about how we're going to fix this problem. The conversation needs to be how are you going to feel about it when the shit hits the fan and your boss comes down here and you are the facilities manager and he figures out that you were incompetent. What's that conversation going to look like between you and the boss? And by the way, are you willing to take that kind of chance? It's not even your money we're talking about here. Are you willing to take that kind of chance that that may happen to you? Because the way I see it right here is you got a pretty good chance of that happening. 
Or what if what if he finds out that you're wasting a whole bunch of money? This could be done a lot cheaper. And you're you're using old, outdated technology and you're supposed to be looking after things. And you're supposed to be the person that's keeping everything up to speed. What's going to happen when he finds out that you had a chance to save one hundred thousand dollars a year in energy cost and you didn't even check it out? Do you want or do you want to go tell him that or you want me to tell him that? Now, that's when somebody becomes motivated to want to solve that problem because of of self-interest and all buying when you're dealing with somebody else's money. When you're talking to somebody that's dealing with somebody else's money, their interest in wanting to give you money is simply to either reinforce their position or make them look good. It's not about fixing a problem necessarily. That's this basic. Uh, that's, that's, the, that's the presenting issue, but that's not going to be the ultimate reason to push them over the edge. Salespeople fail to identify the buyer's decision-making process. They fail to have open and frank discussions about money, and they spend endless time trying to overcome objections. They try to convince and pressure and close people. They fail to set agendas and gain agreements prior to the sales call. They just show up. They appear needy and chase after the deal. They fail to mirror and match the prospect using NLP type stuff. They fail to uncover the buyer's buying style. What kind of personality or buying style are we dealing with? There are four distinct buying styles. If we're, we as sellers have a primary selling style. Buyers have a primary buying style. Now, there are four to choose from. If we have a selling style that mirrors the buying style of the buyer, we're going to connect with them and bond with them. If we have a selling style and they have a different buying style than our selling style, then we're not going to bridge that gap of trust and bond and have rapport with them. So as a seller, we must understand what the four buying styles are, be able to size that person up pretty quickly, and then change and adapt our selling style to mirror and match their buying style so that we can literally be in sync from a conversation and communication standpoint with them. Failure to do that means we have a disconnect. And when we have a disconnect, there's no sale. So you can see why if there are four buying styles and we have one of those as our primary selling style, you can see why the average closing percentage is about 28%, which represents about one out of four. So we must become like the person we're talking to from a communication standpoint. We must become a chameleon and change how we do it to fit with how they receive it. And salespeople fail to use a systematic proven selling system. This is, this is the big overarching thing. Salespeople do not have a proven systematic selling system or process for how to do this. Now, 
you were involved in new school selling. That is a proven systematic selling system or process. The question is, how good are you going to get at doing it? Because even if it's a good system, if you don't use it, it doesn't work. So it's a matter of getting really good at this proven system. And the fact that you're here is an indication of you trying to do that. Now, in short, is all of this can boil down, be boiled down to one thing. The reason people don't buy from salespeople is because the, the person doing the selling is acting like every other typical salesperson the buyer has ever encountered. And when you look like, smell like, talk like, sound like, act like a salesperson, that reminds them of somebody they've dealt with in the past, you're going to get the treatment and be pigeonholed as a salesperson. And the minute someone pigeonholes you as a salesperson, they're going to go to DepthCon 3 where the silos are armed and the missiles are ready for launch. They go totally defensive because no one trusts a salesperson. The last thing you ever want to be thought of is a salesperson, which means you must not do anything that reminds them of a salesperson that they've dealt with before. That means not doing anything like people in your industry does. It's the dumbest thing in the world. In our industry, we do this. Well, that's just plain dumb. You don't want to do what other people in your industry do. Not if you want to be the leader. The leader does it differently. Thank you for listening to the Profitable Persuasion Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Your next step is to go to newschoolselling.com slash two-minute trainer and download your free two-minute sales training manual. We've prepared 10 sales training tips that will drastically improve your game in less than two minutes. Get it today at newschoolselling.com slash two-minute trainer. Finally, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. We look forward to hearing from you. Wishing you all the success you have the guts to claim. We'll see you on the next episode of the Profitable Persuasion Podcast.